Just a quick heads up that these are adults having adult conversations about things that take place on a show where the adults use a lot of adult language. All this to say, there might be some salty language ahead, so please plan accordingly. That's the job, son. You guys ever want to be in charge? Be the boss? Get all the credit? You know, we used to believe that trees competed with each other for light. Suzanne Samard's field work challenged that perception, and we now realize that the forest is a socialist community. Trees work in harmony to share the sunlight. Can't you just give me a straight answer for once? I think I just did. What would Ted Lasso do? That's the question we explore in each episode of this podcast. We take the lessons we learn from Ted Lasso and apply them to the real world through the lens of leadership and positive psychology. My name is Dimple Dabalia. And I'm Jeff Harry. We hope you enjoy this episode as much as we enjoyed making it and that it helps you discover your own Lasso way and embrace what it means to believe. All right. Welcome back, everyone, to season two, episode 11 of What Would Ted Lasso Do? Today, we are talking about the episode called Midnight Train to Royston. This one was written by Sasha Garan. Garan, I'm not really sure, and directed by MJ Delaney. So this is a big episode, which is why I'm jumping right in. But how are you doing, Jeff? After watching this episode, I feel stressed as I just (laughs) finished watching this episode. And I don't know how this ends as uh, this is the first time I'm watching this and it left so many open doors. And I also was like Ted, as I felt as if I was being abandoned by Dr. Sharon during my time of need. (laughs) Oh, I know this is uh, this was an episode that was totally packed with a lot of stuff and yeah, let's just jump in. So why don't we start right at the beginning with Sam? What came up yeah. for you? Yeah. So, you know, he he gets the hat trick. He's it looks like, you know, Richmond is close to potentially getting out of relegation. So that's exciting. And everyone is, you know, celebrating with him and they're high fiving him. And then he gets into his car and he gets the text from Rebecca who I thought they had already broken up, but he gets this text from Rebecca and he, he longly looks for it. And then she was just like, Oh yeah, you did a really amazing job and uh, have a nice night XX. And then there was three dots and that was it. Ugh. And we've all been there with the three dots. The three dots are was... the worst. Yeah. Yeah. I thought they'd broken up too. So that kind of threw me for a little bit of a loop as well. Mm-hmm. But I guess, you know, just from like, the boss perspective, it's kind of nice to, you know, be like, hey, yeah, you did a great job, but also awkward because as we've talked about, this is why you don't have these relationships in the workplace. Nice. But yeah, so Sam is like, is on top of the world. He's doing great. And then we meet Mr. Edwin Akufu. Yeah. Yeah. Played by the amazing Sam Richardson, who's been in a lot of shows that I love, Veep and Search Party. And he plays this Ghanaian billionaire who they originally think wants to come in to buy Richmond, but Mm -hmm. that is not actually the case. He's interested in Sam. And I just, it was such an interesting storyline. As I normally, when we start these episodes and start talking about them, I'm always asking about, you know, what do you think the overarching themes were? What themes came up for you? And it was interesting as I was watching this episode because I really struggled to find kind of the themes that we typically look for from that lens of leadership and positive psychology. Yeah. But what started to come through for me as I watched Edwin Akufu from beginning to end (laughs) was I just got this feeling of this storyline being about kind of like dismantling white supremacy or kind of chipping away at colonialism. Like that's, Mm -hmm. that was the feeling that really came up for me because, you know, starting from the very beginning where he lands his big chopper right Right in the middle yep. of the training pitch. He's got this line of cars, you know, with all his security people and everything that drives up. And then with like the fact that he wouldn't shake Ted's hand, but then later he did shake Sam's hand. Yep. And just the fact that he wants to 
bring, you know, he's buying this team in Africa and he wants to bring all the amazing African players back home. Yeah. And then the painting in the, in the museum, the, it was by uh, Kalichi Nwaneri, a Nigerian painter. And it just reminded me of like all those artifacts and amazing things that have been taken by Europeans for centuries yeah and put in their museums and things like that and i loved this idea of having this billionaire who was able to go around and start bringing stuff back to where it was supposed to be you know yeah and on top of that he also was like a billionaire that doesn't believe in billionaires yeah right so like yeah. you know it's almost like a recolonization i mean he colonized the pitch right He's potentially <laughs> colonizing some of the players. And I also was just thinking about the idea of the African billionaire. You don't see that. Mm -mm. Like you don't see that in regular media. You see Saudi billionaires, right? Or, you yep. know, ones that, you know, are oil tycoons or something like that. And you see African warlords. That's that. There's a lot of, a lot of vice pieces on that, but you don't see successful billionaires mm -hmm. from Africa. And then on top of what you just brought up, you know, his vision is quite revolutionary, you know, in the soccer world. Because if, you know, in real life, if you look at a majority of the European teams, a significant amount of the players are from Africa, right? If you look at France and why they were so successful in the last two World Cups, 80% of their starters, maybe 90% of their starters are from Africa. You know, they only have two starters, I think, born in France. So this it's fascination of like, yes, finally, why don't we actually bring African scars back to Africa so that we can win the World Cup within the next decade is like a legitimate vision that really has not been articulated. And in many ways in which they've stolen artifacts, you know, throughout the centuries, they've also stolen players and talent from Africa. Talent, for so yeah. Long. Yeah. So, Not just Africa, right? Like all over the world. Like, all over the world. Yeah. All over the world. Like, the, the business context, right? Like out of the sports world and into the business world, like tech and so many. We talk about brain drain all the time where right. you're taking like the best of the best from all these countries and bringing them into the Western countries. And, you know, look, like there's there's pros and cons to both right i mean it it makes it gives people an opportunity to better their lives in some ways but it also creates like a bigger gap between yeah. like first world and and i know you're not supposed to use those terms anymore but like developing mm -hmm. nations and you know like and it just creates a bigger gap in a lot of ways and so but yeah it's I love definitely but definitely with this continent it's different because yeah. if you look at south america they still compete and they're top in Brazil and Argentina, right? Yeah, yeah. You still look at Central America. There's still people that are slightly competitive. An African nation hasn't made a semifinal or a final yeah. in like forever. Yeah. You know, so besides, yeah. I think, last World Cup. So yeah. you, there clearly has been implications because of this talent drain. Yeah. Yeah. And so I love, I just love that aspirational kind of feeling of, of creating something like this and of bringing mm -hmm. all those players back together, you know? And so, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was kind of a fun storyline. And I like, I love when Sam gets to be kind of front and center because he's uh -huh. so lovely anyway. But yeah, so I really enjoyed that. But it's interesting because that now puts, like brings back this whole issue of him and Rebecca. And I suppose that might be another theme kind of of this episode is if you look at like what he's doing in terms of his career and having to make choice, like, like a choice about what to do. And Keely is in a similar position and having to make a choice. I mean, she's moving up, right? Like mm -hmm. she's getting, she's being seen, she's getting noticed and same way, same thing for Sam. Right. And so maybe that's a part of this too is, when you get into that space of finally coming into your own and kind of the, the waves that it creates around you, you know? And the opportunities that are in front of you, right? Because then you have to start questioning your values, right? You know, Sam has a really challenging choice, right? He has someone that he probably still appreciates, maybe even loves, right? Mm -hmm. And Rebecca, 
but also the symbolism of this white woman keeping him in Europe. Yes. Yeah. Rather than him playing, you know, I mean, you don't play for your continent, but, you know, but being able to come back and represent. And you also have to remember that billionaires like I'm not I don't want to hire you as a footballer. I'm hiring you as a person specifically because of how you stepped up against the oil mm -hmm. you know, regime that was colonizing parts of Africa and specifically Nigeria. So it's a question of like, what's more important, my values that can make an impact or or personally, you know, my livelihood, you know, mm -hmm. when it comes to someone that I might love. Yeah. And that I mean, I think that's a really like real thing that everybody, most of us encounter in our mm -hmm. lives, especially as we move through our careers. Right. But I have to say, like, I did not particularly like how that ending with with Rebecca oh, yeah. showing up at his house and and, you know, and saying like, well, I can't tell you not to go but I hope you don't go. And I, I thought yeah. like, and again, going back to this is the whole reason why we, we talk about like the power differential in mm -hmm. these relationships where yep. you've got like, you know, a team owner dating a player because yep. for this exact reason that if he gets an opportunity like this, which like you said, is, is in alignment with his values and is probably, you know, a potentially a good move for him. And then for her to kind of lay that on him, like that was just really crappy. I thought, you know, it was kind of selfish in my yeah. opinion, like yeah. it. And it comes from such a place of privilege, too. It's just like, hey, guess what? I still don't have an answer for you. Right. Like she starts off with that. I don't have an answer for you, but yeah, you should still hang out here with me. Until I can decide. Until like, I can decide. <laughs> like, whoa. And on top of that, by the way, also have the rights to your contract. So it's just like, yeah, you're right. There was a lot of that there. And frankly, it would probably have been better if she doesn't even go by because she didn't give him a new answer. She didn't give him more information. Exactly. Exactly. So one thing that did come out of this is Rebecca did finally tell Ted, right? She finally told yes. somebody besides Keely. And I really liked that scene. And it did have a very deja vu feel because as he yes. reminds her afterwards, right? Like you're making a habit of this coming down here, same time, same place, you know, and it did take like even just that scene where where he gets up and he moves and he stands in front of her and they kind of pause that shot. It's very similar to the year before. Right. And so that kind of felt good. And I loved what he told her about, you know, listen to your gut and on the way down, check in with your heart between yeah. those two things. They'll tell you what's what. And I really love that sentiment. And I think it's true. And I think it's hard. Like it's hard to really be able to, I think sometimes our gut is telling us something and we ignore it Yeah. quite often, right? <laughs> Until we start to get, get comfortable enough to acknowledge it and to trust that it's, it's leading us the right way. But I love this idea of the heart and the gut working together. Um, mm -hmm. I just thought that that was really beautiful. So. I also appreciated him saying the second doorknob drop, like say stating it as the doorknob drop, right? Because then it makes me wonder, like, ooh, what will be the third doorknob drop in, you know, in the last season? But then also, what is it that was also revealed? Oh, I love the fact that he said, Don't listen to me. Don't mm -hmm. listen to any of us. That was great. Mm -hmm. I think that's the best advice most of the time we should be giving to other people is don't listen to anybody because at the end of the day, you really have to understand what your voice is saying. And like, we always look to other people to validate what we probably yes. aren't. Oh, right. Yeah. I love also how he was not judgmental about it. He's mm -hmm. just like, okay, you know, yeah. yeah, that's cool. I mean, he could have been, you know, it could be like you, you're ruining my team. <laughs> I mean, it was a little bit weird. Like, I like that he's non-judgmental because they're friends, but it was yeah. also a little bit weird because going back to a few episodes ago when Higgins was like, you know, trying to talk to Beard about his relationships because he knew it's wrong. And he said like, well, you know, none of you guys had my back. And I kind of felt like that here too, where like Ted's like, yeah, okay, I like it. It's fine. And it's like, no, it's not fine. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's not fine at all, you know? <laughs> And you're her friend. Like, I would like you to say something about, okay, it's happened. Acknowledge it and, you know, thank her for sharing it. But I don't know. Like, I, I felt like 
I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I felt slightly different. I felt as if he was just like, I have no control over this. Yeah. This is yeah. not within my circle of influence or and like what what and he was probably prioritizing over being like the coach right now. Mm-hmm. He was prioritizing being her friend. And what does her friend need right now? Her friend needs her to be like, it's going to be OK. You yeah. know, like yeah. we'll we'll bounce back from this just like last year. Yeah. yeah. Because that was also super hurtful the year before what she said and probably worse last year than this year. This year, it wasn't that bad, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Comparison to like I was trying to destroy your whole career last time. So. Maybe he wasn't feeling like maybe he was just like, whoo, I thought it was going to be worse. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's true, too. That's true, too. But I do like what you just said about this idea of kind of tuning out all the other noise, because that also reminds me of that conversation they had in the boot room about auditioning our complaints. Right. Like we Mm. audition our complaints, but we also audition our our positions oftentimes. Mm -hmm. Right. Like the stance that we're taking on something, we want that to be validated. And so Mm -hmm. but. To your point, I think when we add, like Brene Brown talks about this idea of when we start entering the P's, like we start polling people and we start trying to get everyone's opinions. It's like we it gets so noisy that we yeah. ultimately lose our own, you know, our ability to hear our own opinion about what yeah. feels right to us. And going back to this idea that like our gut always, our gut is always going to tell us the right, th- the thing that's right for us. Yeah. As an individual, it may not be right. Like what happens for me may not be right for you and vice versa, but my gut is going to tell me what's right. And when you get asked for an opinion, you're speaking based on your experience usually, Yep, which is often going to be different for somebody else. And so, yeah. So in that way, I definitely liked that advice. And to your point, I like that he just kind of let it you know, he just repeated back to her what she was saying. You exactly. Know? Exactly. Um, and very and, like traditional coaching techniques, really. But yeah. And also what you brought up, this idea of you're speaking. When you're giving someone else's advice, not only are you bringing your own experiences, but you're bringing a lot of your own trauma in, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you're bringing your own trauma and then you're just like, well, this is what you need to do. And you're like, whoa, that's not for them. Yeah, that was for you. Right. And I think we have to be more aware of that. There's also and it was our our friend Angie Cole who recently mentioned this to me. But she was just like, at those times, you focus on what's clear, not what's foggy. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you choose what's clear, this is what she said. If you choose what's clear, you can't end up somewhere you don't want to be because you're like, I don't know all the other drama and noise and everything that's happening. But this one thing is clear. Mm. So what was frustrating, and let me know if you felt this was frustrating, is Rebecca wasn't being clear. Mm -hmm. She wasn't being clear with Ted at first, and finally Mm -hmm. she was. And she definitely wasn't being clear with Sam at the end. Yeah, exactly. She should have just been clear. Or if it was foggy, she shouldn't have showed up. Yeah, yeah. And I get it. I call this being wishy-washy. And Mm -hmm. I know that I have definitely done this. And it's fear, right? It's a fear of hurting somebody. It's a fear of really like feeling like you can say what you actually want and that yeah. the other person will, you know, like won't run away or whatever. Yep. And so it it's definitely something that comes from a place of fear. But yeah, it makes things so much more difficult mm-hmm. in the long run. So yeah, yeah. Whew. Yeah, so that one is, uh, we'll put it in the unresolved yeah. category for now. So that's one, just one of the many things we have to depack. But what yeah. else? What else was on that episode? Because now I'm like, OK, whatever. What else was covered? All right. So then let's talk about maybe Roy and Keeley. Oh, yes. Yeah. So this was interesting, too, because I feel like they have a pretty like I said this once before that they're like, you know, hashtag relationship goals and they have a pretty strong bond and they're pretty good at communicating with each other. And so it was interesting to kind of watch this one go. One thing that I did remember, though, this was so funny, was a couple of weeks ago, I saw the movie Groundhog Day again for the first time in like, I don't know, 20, 25 years. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like we when we watched that Headspace episode, we totally missed like the foundation of the episode, which was Groundhog Day. Oh, 
And so in Headspace, they started with I Got You, Babe, the song, right? Yeah. Like at the beginning of the episode. And that's the song that keeps playing every morning in Groundhog Day. Right. And so that whole thing about like their relationship was starting to become this like monotonous thing. And Mm -hmm. that, you know, and until like until one of them changed their actions and it came when Keely finally like expressed that she needed space. Right. And that's what kind of started shifting things. And so we already know that they're in this place of being comfortable with each other, but now they've got kind of a new challenge, right? So she is starting to make a name for herself. And, you know, I think I'm not surprised at all that they they put this together. Brett Goldstein is one of his majors in college was feminism or feminist mm-hmm. studies. And I love that because I think as a woman trying to be in a relationship where you feel like you can expand and grow and be the biggest version of yourself and know that your partner is not going to be threatened by that or feel like anything is being taken away from them because you're shining is so hard. It's so hard. And so I know like for myself, I can say that in the past, like so many times where I have shrunk myself down Mm. to protect the other person's ego, you know, and so I love that in this, like you see Keely like going through that space of feeling like, oh my gosh, like I'm actually going to be seen here. And it's scary. Like she wants to do it. She's excited, but she's also scared. And I thought that Roy's responses were just so beautiful mm-hmm. and so perfect, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And it just, it really like, oh my gosh, like there is a way to respond in that way. And it was, it was so lovely to see it modeled, you know? Yeah, it also I feel like he was able to do that too because he's been in that world for so long. He's been in that yeah. celebrity world. He knows how much of it is BS, right? We have to remember he's been a celebrity of some sort since he was like in his 20s. And frankly, he just finds most of it to be ridiculous and he knows the game that she has to play because at some point she was just a model. Right. Mm -hmm. She even says at one point to Roy, she's just like, should I, you know, be wearing this dress or should I be wearing something, you know, more scantily clad or I don't know what specifically it was. And he was just like, no, where would you you're you're a badass as you are right now, you know, and you're a badass, not because of how you look, but because of how dope and smart and awesome you are. And I've I love that. And I love that he was not intimidated by all of that attention. If anything, especially when she was getting the photos, he looked so proud. He looked so happy for her. He was like, and especially, and I've been talking a lot about this recently, there's this whole new world right now where women need men less than they've ever need men. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know, and, and, and guys, you know, who have always thought, well, I'm the provider. They don't need that. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and guys don't really know how to show up otherwise, right? And that whole Psychology Today article about lonely men and make, and again, centering it around men and being like, yeah, you have to step up in regards to your emotional intelligence and other ways of support rather than just being a breadwinner because, mm-hmm. frankly, that is not needed anymore. That is an antiquated way in which to look at relationships. Yeah, but, you know, I think... You know, what you just said about he's been in this world of celebrity for so long, that's true. But I also think that in this world of celebrity and especially with professional athletes, like there's a lot of ego. That's true. A lot of ego. And so I could easily see where someone else in this position would, I mean, could feel threatened or could feel like, well, you know, she's getting all this attention. What about me? You know? Like Jamie or maybe old Jamie. Old might Jamie. Feel that. Yeah. 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 But yeah, that scene where he's just sitting there and just like watching her in awe and like between that and the music. So we had two incredible songs play back to back here. The first one they started with is Love is Everywhere by Wilco. And that, mm. oh my gosh, that just melts my heart. And and watching his reaction to her with that song playing, like <laughs> it was just like tears like coming down my face. And then the second song that starts playing is Pratik Kuhad's um, Cold Slash Mess. And that's the one 
we see kind of that starts up as they're having right as they have that discussion on the sofa. Mm. And so, yeah, so that was the whole interesting thing, too. Like his I didn't realize he had spent three hours with the teacher. Right. right. Like that. Right. <laughs> I was like, oh, OK. But even his response to her initially. Like, so when she talks about, you know, what happened with Nate he he right away is like, well, that must have been awkward, you know, right. but, but right. you know, thanks for telling me. And so, like, I love that kind of back and forth dialogue that they have. And the two of them as actors, like the the little twitches in their faces. And it was incredible. Right. Like yep. you can you could yep. almost see like the wheels turning back there. Like, do I say this? Do I say this? Do I tell them? And I think we've all been there, right? Where we have that, like that moment where like, should I tell this person that this thing happened? And so I thought that was really interesting watching that kind of going back and forth too. And so his kind of confession about being there with the teacher for three hours and then ending it with like, no, I'm not married, <laughs> not not understanding right. why he didn't say anything else, right? I thought was quite interesting. But one question I had was, I feel like the teacher would have known that he's with Keely because she's been at like, you know, when he was teaching the girls football, like Keely had come there and that that teacher was there. And I'm sure that Phoebe has talked about Keely in class and things like that. But but I but think yeah, that's his, not I think that's not relevant, actually, because like whether he knew it or not, he did not say it. You know, he wasn't right, clear, right, right. he wasn't clear about it. And maybe that is a theme of the episode. If I think about it, the things that are said and the things that are not said. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Because I think of and we'll get into like Dr. Sharon and, and Ted and him reading the letter. But talk about the amount of acting that happened in silence mm -hmm. throughout this entire episode. Yeah. Just people's facial expressions throughout this episode, which I thought was really powerful. But I think also what was awesome was when Roy and Keely would first looked at each other. You could feel that level of love and appreciation. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, I mean, talk about vulnerable. We don't do this enough. And yeah. if anyone wants to feel vulnerable, but also feel fully connected, look into someone's eyes for more than a minute and don't say anything. Yeah. That is really vulnerable. And doing that almost reminded me of when the, I don't know, it wasn't the Diamond Dogs, but when Ted mentioned to the group that he was having he had a panic attack and then everyone started mentioning things that they wouldn't have said earlier if he had not mentioned that mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden this dynamic is happening and the whole time you're like oh wow well you know i'm so glad that that keely told uh, roy, right. nate right oh i'm so glad that roy just told her about the teacher thing i'm feeling very good and then she <laughs> says the next thing of like jamie todd told me that he loves me and then she did not say the other part of like and i didn't say i didn't love him right she just yeah. left that other part out and we go from so loving so supportive to just pure shock on both their faces yeah and then they turn to the camera and you know, they got the 85 millimeter getting the, the details of their face. And that was an amazing performance right there. Yeah. And just seeing like the heartbreak, right? Like, yeah. And I know we're going to talk about Nate, but and I guess maybe we can come back to this. But, you know, the idea that Nate kissing Keely was like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> was like, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But but Jamie is a different story, right? Like they've struggled for as long as we've known them on the screen. And so, and to see like Roy, Roy's like face in that, but, but also Keely's right. Like they're both mm -hmm. kind of in that space. And it's just, I don't know, like it's I, the first time I watched that, my stomach just dropped and I was like, Oh no, it's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I don't want anything to happen to them. And I feel like for the most part, Roy has been very grounded, right? Like Roy for the most part has been very supportive and he learns his lessons and he's done a really good job. But but, you know, Jamie just gets in, you know, gets into like his wounds, man, because it reminds him he might get replaced by someone younger, it reminds him they might get replaced by someone that is just a horrible individual or has been in the past. Right. Yeah. And a lot of stuff doesn't shake Roy, but that really shook him. Yeah. 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 Whew. All right. So that, that's the second unresolved. Oh, the second. That was two things already. 
Yeah. All right. So now let's talk about Ted and Sharon. Oh my gosh. This storyline also just, well, let's start with this whole, like the team performing. Oh yeah. So (laughs) such a Ted thing because I was wondering the whole time I was like, okay, they're putting a lot of effort into this dance. Right. And even how he just, he screams it to him. It's just like, you know, it's hop, hop, hop. And then, you know, wave, wave, wave. Right. And then he says, you know, it's not about the execution. It's about the effort and talk about play. Right. They have gone. They're winning. They may be able to get out of relegation that they even have time to play in this way. And when they finally get it right, they're so happy. Right. So you just you're just loving all of that. But it's such a Ted way of also saying goodbye to her because, you know, that is not what she wants. (laughs) Yeah. And there were so many little like Easter eggs in just this little piece. So it starts out by Beard saying they're not in sync. (laughs) Oh, which I thought was really funny. I did not pick up on that. And then, you know, they like walk through it. And then when Edwin of Khufu comes and then Ted has to leave, he yeah. looks at Beard and he says, you know, can you take care of this? And he says, I can't remember what he said. If oh, it says it's going to be me. And so that's another title of an NSYNC song. Nice. <laughs> and well so, done. yeah, well I done, thought... writers. Well done. <laughs> so I thought that that was really clever. But oh, my gosh, that whole scene makes me laugh so hard. And I, of course, have like watched all the behind the scenes on this. Uh, we will definitely link to, in the show notes oh, to one my. of the behind the scene videos of them practicing this like learning the choreography for this. It was so funny. But the best part is like they they said in one of the interviews that they were trying to make Roy laugh the whole time because and and he had that's why he's like mouthing the words if you see him because he said that if he if he wouldn't have he would have been dying. And then you see Will with his little hip hip swaying oh, yeah, to the hold, music. Yeah, 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 holding holding the the radio up like what does it say <laughs> anything? Like yeah. Oh, my gosh. But yeah, that whole thing. I just absolutely love it. So they uh, finally get it right. Meanwhile, Ted goes up to find Sharon and finds Higgins back in his office. I know I was so disappointed. I was so (laughs) disappointed to see Higgins. And then I was like, what do you mean she's leaving? And the whole time. And I really felt like I was in Ted's shoes for a second. I was just like, wait a minute. She's leaving. What about the dance? Like we put so much effort into the dance. Like that's what I was thinking the whole time. <laughs> like you're invested now. Right. right? I'm invested. And then he's like, well, she wrote us, uh, wrote all everyone letters. And what did what? So he ran, he runs off, which I love. Right. He runs off to. But then what does Higgins say? Don't let her letter L-E-T-T-E-R get away with it. That is awesome. I yeah, love that. that was cute. I love that so much. And then he ended up hanging outside of her house, waiting for her to come home. Also, how sweet is it that Higgins knows everybody's birthdays? I know. It was very impressive. I mean, that's really cool. But yeah, so, oh my gosh. So then we get into this another, like, amazing scene, right? Between Ted and Sharon with the letter. This letter has been the subject of so many discussions in the Ted Lasso world. (laughs) What did the letter say? Right. You know, and someone was saying, like, I wonder if they they actually wrote a letter for him to react mm. off of because his reactions are just mm-hmm. incredible, right? As mm-hmm. he's going through the letter. But, you know, before he even gets to that, like, he's just so mad. And I love that, like, you see the growth, right? Like, working yep. with her, he's able to say to her, like, look, like, this is not okay. Like, you of all people knew how I felt about being abandoned by all these important people in my life. Yep. And how could you do the same thing to me? Yep. You know, so he's using his words and he's confronting it and he's but on the flip side, like this is the part that I feel like I'm really learning these days is we can do all the work we need to on our end. But if you're up against somebody else who that's not their like that is not her comfort zone. She's a therapist and she can use her words just fine. But she knows for her, like writing it out is what makes it easier for her she can express herself better and she knows that that's what works for her and she's so like shy in some ways right yeah so like you see see that like at the the pub later but but there was just something about her watching him read her letter and whatever it was that she told him 
I mean, it was clearly something that was really important to her, Mm -hmm. right? For him to react that way. And so I'm curious, what do you think she wrote? I didn't really think about what she wrote because it was more the idea of like, it's interesting that all these people were like, I wonder what words were written. (laughs) I wasn't thinking that the whole time I was thinking like, well, first of all, he wasn't going to read it, which I loved. I love that. I'm not going to read this. I have no desire to read this. And as he literally is fighting it, just like he fought her the first time he was in the place in her session, then he would leave and come back and leave and come back. He's like, fine, fine. I'll finally read it. The acting alone in his facial expression mm-hmm. might be the best acting I've seen in the whole episode. I don't know, the whole season for me and even her acting as well. So like for me to speculate what exactly was written for me, I don't feel like that's the point. I feel like more of it is this idea of he's just going to miss her and he wanted to communicate especially mm-hmm. with the dance, by the way, yeah. <laughs> because how much money, how much time and money, how much well, also money, because they're not playing soccer and said they're doing this. But he's invested so much time to really say goodbye to her. And he just doesn't want to say goodbye because she might be now the closest relationship he has mm-hmm. besides Beard there. Right. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't know how else to say goodbye. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then she gives him the opportunity to like, hey, let's go get some drinks, which again is rare because she even said it was rare when she said that to the rest of the players. So she knows like this is outside of her comfort zone. She's going into public this last time. And then when they go get beers, then she has to face the the fans. Mm -hmm. And you just again see how good she is at her job when she breaks down the snakes thing for one of the fans and you're like, wow, she's just so good. Mm -hmm. She's just so amazing. And she's going to be so missed by the team. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it almost is like a transition, right? Because a therapist is probably not typically going to go out with, I know she did with the team, but that's different. Like it was with the whole team. She's the team doctor, whatever. But yeah, like it to me, it showed like the friendship that's grown between them as well. You know, yeah. it wasn't just that she was his therapist, but yeah. that they've become friends along the way. And so, yeah. So I love that whole pub scene, <laughs> like with the two of them just laughing and talking and playing pinball. And then he does the goodwill hunting to her, which yes. I find hilarious. I love the goodwill hunting reference when he, Son he of a bitch walk- stole my move. Right, right. And he puts the soldier. He still does the little Ted Lasso soldier thing. And May knows to give her an extra cup of suds. But, you know, it also showed a certain level. I mean, I don't know if it shows a certain, that much of level of maturity, but it showed enough for him to be like, OK, I can say goodbye to you. I'm ready. I think I'm I'm OK enough to say goodbye rather than like I could see a more insecure Ted would have kept her there all night long. Yeah, exactly. Right. And he would have just kept playing his little games and talking and and whatever. But yeah, so I looked up the army man. There was a Reddit thread that talked about how the army man that Ted gave Sharon was the one that calls in for air support. Mm. And the person said it perfectly encapsulates her role. She's the one Higgins calls in for support at the beginning of the season And just like air support, they come in to help with a problem and they don't stick around after the job is done. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, once again, fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, And the pinball machine, like that whole pinball scene was really funny. And so I don't know if you caught the SMF reference. What the sexy, sexy mother. Yeah. Yeah. You know what it is? (laughs) What? The sexy motherfucker one? Yeah. Yeah. What is there another reason for SMF? No, no, no. So he was like trying to guess that maybe it's her name, right? And then she says, no, it's sexy motherfucker. And then he says, rest in peace, Mr. Nelson. And so sexy motherfucker is the second track on the 1992 album by Prince and the new power generation called Love Symbol. And Prince's full name was Prince Rogers Nelson. So Um, that was just that whole little exchange that they had, which I thought was really. I also love what she said about pinball. The only opponent is yourself and gravity. And I was Mm -hmm. like, 
Ooh, interesting. You could say that about a lot of things. So yeah, that was fascinating as well. And it being a form of meditation. I really mm-hmm. liked that too. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I guess this one was wrapped up a little bit more. But I mean, I felt there was a certain level of closure, you know? There was, but I think it's still a little undone because even though you got caught up in the acting of the letter, like I think... I'm really curious about what was in it. Like, I feel like I don't, this why? does not feel complete to me. Wait, because... why do you need to know? Why do you need to know? That's between them two. <laughs> yeah, but it's I not don't know. for it's, it's just... not for us. It's not for <laughs> hello, everyone. Listen, it's not for us. That's for them. <laughs> and people are like, no, I need to know what's in that letter. It's better that it's better that we don't know. <laughs> That's You're... possibly true. That's possibly it's true. much better. Because we'd be disappointed regardless, because we'd be like, really? I was expecting so much thing, so much better. And frankly, I don't, I felt there was closure because I don't, if I don't see Dr. Sharon in the last episode or next season, I'm totally fine with it. I feel mm-hmm. like there's been a bookend to it. It really is, and it was really well done. No wonder she got nominated for an Emmy, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, she's, she's incredible. Okay, so that leads us to our final storyline, which is all about Ooh. Nate. <laughs> this was the biggest one. Oh. All right, so I'm, I'm really curious to hear your take because you had not seen this before yeah. and you knew we were building up to something. Is this what you thought it was going to be? Yes. Well, I, I thought potentially even worse because... And this is part of the reason why I like started getting off Twitter, you know, not looking up Ted Lasso, because any time anything was posted, it just showed Nate. And then, you know, I saw like angry words around it. So I would <laughs> run away. So I was like, OK, I can't look at it, but I know something's bad with Nate. I know something's going on with Nate and it's been building up this whole time. And frankly, it wasn't surprising at this point because I was like, what? is the thing if Nate was going to sabotage stuff because he kept saying throughout this episode, don't you want to be in charge? You know, mm-hmm. he first says that to Beard and, Roy, you know, Roy and and frankly, both of them who have been in charge, right, of things don't really mm-hmm. care, but he's never had that. Right. And then later on, he seeks it from Keeley. So talk about auditioning his opinions with different people. Right. He's like keeps putting it out there. Because he wants to get validation and he's like getting really angry. Oh, that's what Ted's going to do. Ted's just going to steal my idea and then say it's his own. Like he's already building up such a story in his head. And then on top of that, I wonder why he kissed Keely. Did he kiss her because he liked her? I don't think he kissed her because he liked her. I think he kissed her because, again, it was a power move because he's trying to step into his own power and do things that he wants to do in a very toxic sort of way. And when he gets rejected by her, he goes back to that mirror, that same mirror that he was in front of, you know, when he was in front of his father and then spits at himself again. So like, that's the energy he's bringing to this. So it just didn't surprise me that he would have leaked the panic attack thing because that would have been the perfect way to destroy Ted. Yeah, I do think he does like Keely. I think he's liked her from the beginning because over the course of the two seasons, we've heard him talk about her and just how lovely she is and this and that. And I think in that moment, I mean, it was a colossal misreading of the situation, but also, you know, he, like you said, he was asking her opinion about, well, you know, don't you ever want to be in charge? And she, you know, she's in a different position in her life Mm -hmm. too, where And while she does, I think like the motivations behind where they're each coming from are very different. Yeah. And I think that's the difference. Right. And so she's like, yeah. And, you know, people like us, like we, you know, we will always be wanting to do more and this and that. And I think in that moment, he sees it as like, and then she says, you know, I I say, you know, you just have to go for it. And I think him, that was like, all right, well, this is, you know, I'm just going to go for it. And so... Yeah. And I think you're right. Like, I think that rejection, then it just brings back like, and it it wasn't just the rejection though, but I think it's like, you know, she keeps saying, don't worry about it. It's okay. It's fine. And and he says, he says, but I do worry about it. Yeah. And I think it, it's what like gets him to realize like nobody takes him seriously. Yeah. You know? 
And so going back to, we talked, I think, in one of the first few episodes about this idea of subtle acts of exclusion, right? Mm. And I think that this is all now coming together. And mm. so over the course of the season, we saw him dismissed so many times and not like nobody was doing it out of coming from a bad place or anything like that. But it was just like this automatic reaction of, oh, well, you know, you're going to be the big dog. Ha ha ha. You know, like. There's just so many little things that kept happening that, so to your point, he has created a story and he's created a story based on each of these events that have happened. Yeah. And to me, like, it just really made me start thinking about, because this, this storyline gets us back to like last season where we talked about leadership, right? Mm. Like, I think this is the storyline around leadership. And so we have this newer leader trying to find his way had a mentor in a way, and then felt these subtle acts of exclusion, and then in return started doing the same thing to the people around him, right? Mm -hmm. But not so subtly, like he was bullying people Mm -hmm. to make himself feel better and Mm -hmm. bigger and whatever. And it was interesting because when Will brought his suit in and said, you know, I brought... (laughs) I brought Here's Ted's suit, like Ted's suit that he gave you or something like that. Yeah. And that whole, you know, how he like jumps on him. But what was interesting, what I what I picked up on was Will's demeanor, right? And so we saw Will at the beginning of the season, just like this bubbly kid who like wants to like be with everybody and be helpful and stuff. And now over the course of this season, he has become just like the shell of himself in a way, right? Mm. And so the way that you see him interacting with Nate, like was so... And I thought they did a beautiful job of showing that, like what happens when you're abused this way over a period of time and how it impacts the person, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, the one time where Will shows that, you know, he still is able to hold that radio up. Yeah. Loose and, you know, but you're right. Whenever he's around Nate, like he's, Mm -hmm. whenever he's around his bully, he's got to be as, he's tiptoeing around it. I think the reason why I feel Nate doesn't actually like Keely for Keely is Keely's been the only one that's given him attention mm-hmm. or the only like woman that's given him attention. Right. Yep. So I think he's like put on more things. Like, does he know who she is as a, I don't know. Right. But I guess I wonder what, why did he tell Trent Krim of the independent? He probably tro- told Trent because he thinks he should be in charge. And if you combine the fact of like, you know, we almost we well, we got relegated last year and that was Ted's fault. Right. And now we are trying to somewhat come back. But guess who was the one that won one of the games? It was me. And now he's stealing another one of my game plans for the last game. So that's also me. You know, he's built up this story of of justifying that, like, frankly, Ted should go and I should be in charge. And being that he doesn't, he may not even know that Akufu is buying the team. Like he, he doesn't, he's not privy to that. So maybe he thinks the Akufu is actually buying the team and not just Sam. He's probably also thinking like I could be the the coach now. Heck, he might even be talking to Rebecca's husband. Yeah, I was just gonna say you know? I think it's more like whatever Rupert planted in his ear, mm-hmm. right? Like. Mm-hmm about i'm curious if rupert might have said something like you know have you ever thought about if you were in charge or something like that because all of a sudden it's all about well you know these are my ideas and this is my thing and you know because even at that where he talks about the false nine and ted's like yeah great let's let's run it and walks out and he says oh give Ted yet another idea and he'll take all the credit for it and you just see like beard and roy are like what like, like, what are you talking about? Like, that's the job. And they're like, yeah, well, does it have to be the job? Like, I want a different job, right? Like his identity is so fixed again. And this is part of the reason of like tying your value to your work, right? Like he has nothing else besides this. This is his value. Mm-hmm. And worthiness, you know, his, worthiness. his worthiness is based off of what happens next. The only way in which he probably thinks like he could get a head coaching job is frankly, if he gets a shot through this opportunity. So maybe he thinks by telling Trent, maybe this is the opportunity that he's been waiting for. And he probably thinks he's ready to do it. And also not realizing that like you do it in community. 
So yeah. he like is just going to try to pull it off on his own. And then what I found fascinating about Ted's response is when he sees that text. First off, love that Trent texted him. Trent doesn't have to text him. So just the fact that Trent is like, I have respect for you. And that's why I'm letting you know. And also giving you an opportunity to comment. And then Ted, who could easily have thrown Nate under the bus or said something else, was just like, no, I'm just going to let it be. That is, that's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Like when you think about where Ted and Trent started, right? Like trying to, do everything to kind of undermine Ted in that initial yep. episode where they was he was going to write the article and ultimately coming to respect him and then has grown to respect him even more. Uh, journalists were up in arms about, about him revealing oh, his Oh, that the journalist shouldn't say they that? They were like, there's no way a journalist with integrity would ever reveal a source that way. Oh, wow. You know, which I could see, definitely. But yeah, but they did it here, right? And... So, yeah, so that was definitely shocking in some ways. But on the other hand, I don't think it was shocking because I think you're right. I think there's a piece of it where Nate, again, he's told himself the story now that all the the wins that they've had are all because of him. He's the yep. wonder kid yep, and he deserves to be in charge. So I think there's that. I think it's layered. So I think that's a piece of it. But the other thing, I think going back again, when I work with leaders, especially like up and coming leaders. Like that's one of, so a lot of my work is around human centered leadership, right? Mm -hmm. And it's the idea that when we are leading others, that we're trying to connect with people around us on a human to human level. So mm -hmm. we're keeping in mind that these are other human beings, even if they are on our team or whatever, that they're not just like these robots or, mm -hmm. or whatever, you know, but, and so when we see Nate kind of stepping into this role and and the way that he's been treated, it's not surprising to me that he would kind of react this way to, to me, there's a part of it where he's kind of like, well, they don't take me seriously. They haven't taken me seriously, but let me show them what I am made of. And then mm. they're going to have to take me seriously. Right. And so it's that easy to like, see somebody who has felt unseen for such a long time, take drastic action to be seen in some way, right? So and do so, you do you think that they created Nate? Do you think they made most of those mistakes and that's why he is where he is right now? 100%. I think they oh, definitely contributed. I don't think that Nate... I think Nate was insecure to begin with. I think he was smart and he's talented and, and Ted saw that. And I think that's why he was promoted. But I think people didn't see him once he was there. And so mm -hmm. they saw him before he was promoted into that role. And then instead of like all those missed opportunities, like Beard talked to him once, right? About not talking to people that way, do better. But like Beard saw Will come in and saw... Nate yell at Will once again, right? Before Broy bursts in about his eyebrows. Mm. And so clearly, like, this pattern has continued and they've let it continue where nobody's saying anything to him to correct his oh, behavior. Oh, right. Oh, I right? see what you're saying. And so his ego is getting bigger and, like, his bullying nature is getting bigger and it's yeah. being left unchecked. Yeah, that's and true. And nobody's really saying anything. And then on the other hand, there's the subtle acts of exclusion and so I think those two things together are just like this volatile mix. And they, they, yeah. I think they 100% contributed to where he ends up because he, you know, it's very real. Like if you're the person in that space and you don't feel seen, it's just a recipe for disaster. Yeah. Know? I feel they are responsible for some of it. Some of it. I've, yeah. I'm not I saying feel like, yeah. I feel like Nate's ego is responsible for a significant amount of it as well. Because to think where he was last year as the kit mm -hmm. guy, and then he's given this opportunity, I just feel like he should be lucky to feel like he's in the room. But I guess like, Maybe that's my fault to even think of it that way, because I mean, maybe they should have had a more a longer conversation when Roy joined with the team and what role Nate should have played. I exactly. think I think they made a mistake with that. I think they made a mistake with not checking him more often 
and finding out if he was bullying other people. I think mm-hmm. that's also true, too. But also, I think he also has taken advantage of situations, right, where they've given him a significant amount of responsibility and a significant amount of clout, and he's leveraged that to take up a huge amount of space, right? Mm-hmm. Like, especially when he's like, I'm the wonderkin after doing one one thing, which frankly, and I mentioned this in the last episode, I did not think was a good strategy. Like he got lucky on that strategy of parking the bus. And then he says he's great, you know, and you're like, dude, dude, you're not as special as you think you are, you know, yeah. and that's what makes the diamond dogs really what I found really likable is that everyone recognizes the role in it. And but no one is like above anyone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you know, it's interesting because when I think about ego, like I think ego is, it's another one of those things like in my work, I talk about like the five ways that we react when our nervous system is activated, right? So it's fight or flight, fight, flight, freeze, which we're all familiar with, fix, and then something called fake, right? And fake is the one where we like double down and we pretend like we do everything we can to show people that we have power and that we are mm. perfectionists or we're perfect at what we're doing. We don't need help, all these things. And so to me, this is very much like this ego is really like Nate's fight or flight response to me. Mm. And so this is where like I think, you know, when we think about people being promoted because of skill, right? We've talked about this before. So in the corporate world, not on the in the sports world, but like you see a lot of people get promoted because they're really, really good. They have the technical knowledge for the job, but they aren't leaders, right? Yeah. And the good thing is we know that leadership is a skill that can be learned. It's it's for some people, it's very like natural, but not for everybody, but it is something that people can learn. And I think in this case, we see this thing of a kid who had some technical knowledge, he had, you know, he had some strategic ability, whatever, agree to disagree on like whatever in terms of what, you know, but he's not a natural born leader. And so there, and I think this is where a lot of organizations fall short is mentoring leaders and teaching them those skills of kind of the skills of empathy and compassion and listening and curiosity and all this stuff. And so Ted modeled those beautifully at the beginning, right? But then he was going through his own stuff. And so, and I think it's such a beautiful portrayal of the reality of what it is to be a leader because we may go in with great intentions and we're going to teach people and we're going to mentor them. We're going to create these new leaders. And then like our own shit comes up Mm -hmm. and stuff starts to fall away. And so if you have that like kind of bridge kind of broken, along the way, then this person is just kind of left out there on their own trying to find their way. And now like they don't want to admit they don't know what they're doing. And so they're going to double down. (laughs) So to me, like that's what I see happening. And so I agree. It's I'm not placing a hundred percent. When I said a hundred percent, I meant they, they were definitely contributing. Mm -hmm. That's what I meant by hundred percent. I didn't mean it was a hundred percent their fault that he is the way that he is, but I think it's a huge part of it. And I, and it's so complex, you know, but I wasn't surprised to see that this is the direction it went. Yeah, because it's been building up this whole time, you know, and with all the disdain. I will say, and I I was speaking at the Society of Women Engineers last weekend, and we were talking about like toxic workplaces and building resiliency in these toxic workplaces and talking about toxic masculinity. And there was a workshop that that was being run for people that did not want to do leadership roles. It was like, take a technical job. How do you move up in your technical career without being a leader or being um, in management? Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. And I say this all the time where I think like at least 50%, if not more people that are currently managers or middle managers probably should not be leading, probably mm-hmm. should not be managing. Yeah. And they were just moved up. And I feel that way towards Nate. Like he never should have been a manager. He should have been like, they should have allocated what he was good at and provided him that role and then been very clear. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's something they could have done a better job as well with of like what his role would be. 
But because they haven't been clear about the role, all he sees is, I want more power. And also, I don't feel seen. Mm -hmm. And it was inevitable that he was going to, you know, blow it up in some way. And this is the step. What makes me curious Mm -hmm. is this was Diamond Dog. This was the Diamond Dog group. (laughs) And one of the Diamond Dogs just betrayed the group. He didn't betray just Ted. He betrayed the group. So how is Higgins and Roy going to react to that? And Beard, like, Mm -hmm. what are they going to do? Because they're all going to talk in the last episode and just be like, did you say anything? Did you say anything? And Ted might not even tell them that he knows who it was. So, yeah. (laughs) Well, you'll find out. I just wanted to say I really loved when Beard tried to explain to Nate using the tree analogy. Yes. And so talking about how we used to believe trees competed with each other for light, but we now know the forest is a socialist community. Trees work in harmony to share the sunlight. And I just, it's such a beautiful analogy, right? Mm -hmm. That like we can all be like flourishing and strong and all of that and still share the light. Yeah. It doesn't have to be that one person or one tree gets all of it and then we all like shrink in protection or whatever but like and so i i really thought that was beautiful and the book that beard is reading in that moment (laughs) he's such a a random person is called entangled life how fungi make our worlds change our minds and shape our futures by merlin sheldrake so Mm. yeah well what i loved about that quote was also it it also made me realize how much Nate just doesn't get it mm-hmm. because he's just like, why can't you just say what you want to say? And then Roy's like, I think he did. Yeah. But Nate is in such has such blinders on and is so myopic in his focus that he's yeah. like, I am going to. It's a perfect example, right? I am going to be the tree that's going to take all of the light. <laughs> and I'm going to destroy all the trees around it to do yeah. it because what? Why? Because I deserve the light. I deserve yeah. to be yeah. seen. And he he literally says that if anyone yeah. asks, I'm going to tell them that this was my idea because it yeah. was. And you're like, like okay. I right. mean, you do realize this is a team, but wow, like you truly don't get it. Yeah, you know, and you probably have not gotten it for a really long time. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think there were a lot of breakdowns. I think the other piece of this is like. We talked about this before about Beard not telling Ted all the stuff that Nate's been doing, right? Yeah, like I think true. I think on the one hand, Beard was protecting him again because Ted had all his own stuff going on, kind of. But then on the other hand, I think Ted doesn't know a lot of what's been happening, and he needed to be the one to step in to say something and to help correct some of that behavior, you know. And, and so, if you also think about it, Beard's been going through his own stuff as well, right? Yeah, like, for you know, sure. So, so sure. like in an ideal world, we would have addressed this, but we didn't. Yeah. So yeah. now, now what are we going to do? Yeah. Ooh, man. So, th- yeah. So that closes out with, so we get Nate's betrayal of Ted and the song that plays is Karma Police by Radiohead. And it's the song that plays over the credits. And it's funny because Ted actually referenced the words of this song back in the first episode of this season in one of the episodes. I can't remember exactly. I also now put myself in Ted's shoes and I'm like, man, this is tough, man. I just lost Dr. Sharon. This would be a great time to talk to her, right? Mm-hmm. You know, Rebecca's having her things, you know, <laughs> and I've been creating space for her, right? And yeah, and this is this is not going to go well. Like they're Mm going to like all the fans are going to call for my head after this. And that is, that's, that's tough, dude. That is tough. And he might be losing Sam as well. So there's a lot of abandonment that's going on right now for this guy. So it's like, Ooh, good. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's the, that's one of the themes, right? Abandonment of different forms. Yeah. Yeah. What an episode. Yeah. Final episode. I can't wait. I know. Any major takeaways for you on this one? I mean, <laughs> I really enjoy the 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 recolonization, you know, the the repatriation. I love that theme. That was that was awesome. 
I think kind of tying in with, you know, what our friend Angie Cole has told me, like clear versus foggy. You know, if you don't, Mm. if you're not very clear about anything, what is the one thing that is actually clear? And if you're willing to commit to that and speak out of it, because like, I think the theme is like what's said and what's not said and make sure you're really willing to be clear about, you know, where you stand on things. Yeah. I think that comes with it. That that is where there's integrity. And you see that when Roy and Keeley speak up, you see that when Rebecca speaks up, you see that when Ted says that to uh, Dr. Sharon, and then she says it back to him in her letter. So yeah, this idea of being clear and saying what needs to be said and not, mm-hmm. not leaving it foggy. Yeah, I like that a lot. I think for me, it's really just this idea of how important it is to really see the people around you and let them know that they're seen. Mm. Mm. Because so often we don't even realize that the people around us may not be feeling seen and then the consequences that come as a result of that. Yeah. Yeah. This was a deep... Seriously, what an episode. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Well, I already did a little sneak peek of the next one, so... (laughs) I am really looking forward to that discussion. I haven't. So I'm excited. Well, thanks everyone for listening. We appreciate you and feel free to share this episode of what would Ted Lasso do? Yeah. See y'all next time. Bye. Take care. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of what would Ted Lasso do? If you got any nuggets of Ted Lasso wisdom from this episode, Try them out in your life and let us know what happens at WWTLD Podcast on Instagram or on our website, WWTLDpodcast.com, where you'll also find a full transcript of the show. We love hearing what other TED heads took away from the episode or details or perspectives that we might have missed. And if you do like the show, please subscribe and head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating. Every rating helps us get our show in front of more listeners. To that end, we'd also ask if you enjoy the show, please share it with your friends, loved ones, randos on the street. You get it. Thank you to the team at Podify for producing our show, to Kajal Dabalia for all our visuals and graphics, and to Kenzie Slato for our theme song. And most of all, thank you to all of you for listening. Ted Lasso could simply just be another show to binge watch. Or if we challenge ourselves to consistently ask the question, what would Ted Lasso do? It could change the trajectory of your life. It has for us. So join us again next time as we explore another episode and ask ourselves, what would Ted Lasso do? Ted Lasso.